My middle son, Colin, had just finished his junior year in high school. That day, as a matter of fact, the day of the accident, it was his final day as a junior, and he became a senior that afternoon. And then he became an experienced wreckmeister of a car. Our family had struggled through a few years. We had three kids in the house, all driving. You can imagine what the insurance cost was. And uh, so we decided we would buy another, another car, and so we bought an old beat-up forerunner and, uh, whose life seemed to be pretty much behind it when we bought it, but it was to be his car for his senior year. Colin played basketball, and that particular day, he and his basketball guys were playing for the championship of the Boys and Girls Club Summer League. And so after school, we met at the house, and he started getting ready for that evening championship game, and he said, Dad, I'm going to go ahead and go. I need to pick up a few of my friends. We'll meet you at the gym. And Teresa and I had some things to do at the church, and so uh, we, we said, okay, we'll see you there. We made our way to the church, and I was doing a few odds and ends uh, things there, and I got a phone call from my son informing me that he had been involved in a car wreck. Um, I, I'm not going to tell you how I responded to him. I will tell you he is still alive. <laughs> but uh, here, here's the scenario. Teresa and I made our way out there, and it became clear that the wreck was my son's fault. He had uh, miscalculated the stopping time it would take him as he made his way down a cross street onto a busy two-lane road. And because that vehicle had an automatic braking system in it, instead of sliding to a stop, he gradually rolled into the intersection just in time to hit a pickup truck broadside, knocking that pickup truck head-on into another pickup truck coming the opposite direction. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about my son. Um, He... He didn't operate all that well that day. That was not a smart way to drive a car. But he is smart enough to know when not to say anything to his dad. And at that moment on that street corner, he just, he was talking to the officer who was responding to the scene and I was trying to make sense of it all. And I wondered how it would impact him. You know, that's been a long time ago now. My son turned 30 this year. And he still drives like a little old man. The, uh, not, nothing against little old men, but uh, <laughs> little old men and teenagers don't drive the same way. Uh, my son, to the, you know, Road Trammel family, have, we buy special cars. They have these invisible brakes in the passenger side of the car. And our family knows how to use those. And so when Colin rides with me now, which is not very often anymore, but he sits on the passenger side and he's always, watch out, for, Dad, there's a car. There's a stop sign, Dad. And, and he's always hitting that imaginary brake over there because he remembers a critical mistake that he made. Our memory is an, an incredible thing for us. Our ability to remember something has a way of seeping down into our everyday lives. 
I like to say it this way, that the memory is a powerful tool for both behavioral and cognitive transformation. If we remember well, it has a way of impacting us today. For instance, if you're having one of those melancholy kind of days uh, and you're prone to remembering backwards, if you will go backwards and remember some of the great times of your life, some of the great experiences of your life, psychologists tell us that just by remembering backwards of those up times, it has the capacity to elevate our mood today. By the same token, if you happen to have some things in your past, some, some traumatic memories of your past, those memories have a way of dragging your mood down. Our memory is a powerful piece of who we are and how we choose to live every day. It should be no surprise then that Jesus, when he comes to this discussion with his disciples about those things that were about to happen, we call it the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. It's no surprise to us then that Jesus says, do this in remembrance. Do this as a memory of me. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and go to two different passages. Actually, I'm going to go to three, but by the time we get to the third one, you won't have time to turn there, so I'll just read it for you. But go with me, if you will, in your Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 14. The book of Mark, chapter 14, and then just kind of leave your bulletin there and turn over to the 1 Corinthians, chapter 11. Now, both of these passages will be quite familiar for you because both of these passages are ones that we go to regularly when we come to do this thing we call the Lord's Supper. While you're finding that, I just want to clue you in on one of the things that I've been doing since I've been here now for a little over a year, and that is when we come to these periodic celebrations, interesting word, of the Lord's Supper, that I'm trying to preach into this something of a theology of the Lord's Supper. Why do we do this? We, we know the basics of it, but often we forget to let those things get down into the way we live our Christian lives every day. So I've been systematically working through some of the key truths that surround us on these days. We start with just the actual event in Mark chapter 14. We pick up the story, and Jesus is with his disciples in that upper room. It's before he's a, uh, to be arrested, and so we read these words, Mark 14, verse 22. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they drank, they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And I want to tie in this whole thing as we find in other places, Jesus says, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. And the power of our memory as it comes to bear on the way we live our lives, when it comes to the Lord's Supper, the memory, the remembering that we do has to be transformational for us. I, I think that that's one of those things that it flows out easily off the tongue. But to translate that into everyday life might be a little more difficult for us than what we think. It was clearly more difficult for the disciples than we might have thought. Because after that incredible moment in that upper room where Jesus, with incredible focus, as we work our way through other gospel accounts of this, we, we find some of the discussion that was going on up there, especially in, in John's gospel. 
And, and in those, those moments that were pregnant with meaning for those disciples for the rest of their lives and now even through thousands of years of church history, those disciples didn't necessarily get it. For instance, if we read a little bit further, we get to verses 43 and, uh, through 45, and we have this guy, most of you will know him. His name is Judas Iscariot, and immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer, that's Judas Iscariot, had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And we know the story well enough to know that this same Judas Iscariot with that kiss of betrayal completed the deed that earned him a little bit of money in the spot that no one wants to occupy in history. He had a little bit of trouble remembering well, remembering in such a way that it would transform his life, the same Judas Iscariot who had walked with Jesus and witnessed miracles and listened to his teaching, this same Judas sold him out. Judas, Judas is not alone in his lack of transformative memory. We jump to the other disciples, and I'm skipping several verses here, but finally we come to verse 50, and it says, and, all, and they all left him and fled. What of those moments where they had said, we'll follow you forever? What of those moments where they acknowledged that he was the very son of God, the Messiah? What of those lessons that they heard and what of those miracles that they witnessed? Their memory of Jesus didn't seem to be sufficient to tie them to him when push came to shove. Verses 51 and 52 give us little insight. Only Mark's gospel gives us this little nuance of the whole situation there. Most scholars believe that this is a reference to Mark himself, John Mark. And it says in verse 51, and a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. It seems that for some of these disciples, even Simon Peter, the one who shortly will deny him three times, it seems that these disciples didn't remember very well this Jesus. Or if they remembered him well, it just wasn't enough for them to tie, to be tied to him in this time of crisis. I think rather than being too hard on them, we should probably acknowledge it for what it is. It seems that we might say they left their Jesus at church. Let me explain that little reference. Some of you have heard me tell this story before, but it's good enough for us to hear it again today. I have a friend who pastors the First Baptist Church of Waco. His name is Matt Snowden. He's an incredible guy. I'm sure that at some point you have a chance to meet him. Some of you have gone to Paisano already know Matt because he preached there for a couple of years, I, I'm told. But Matt and I went through our doctoral program together. We shared an apartment for a couple of weeks at a time, several different times, as we made our way through that, that juggernaut of work. And when we were together for those times, Matt was pastoring a church in Mississippi, and he was in the early stages of building a family. He had a daughter named Molly Catherine. He calls her the bird. 
And the bird one day was with her brother, her older brother, and Matt and his wife were at the church there in Mississippi, and they were doing some things. It wasn't a church day. And so the kids played in the preschool area while Matt and his wife worked, and, and he said that at, when it came time to leave, he told his kids, y'all need to pick up the mess that you made so that we can go. And while they were picking stuff up, the bird, Molly Catherine, brought this little stuffed toy. It was a doll, actually. And it was fashioned to be to look like Jesus, or at least what some people say Jesus must look like. And so here's this little preschool girl, and she brings this little doll that looks like Jesus, and she made one of the most profound statements of modern-day church life when she handed that doll to her daddy and said, Daddy, somebody left their Jesus at church. I would submit to you that maybe in one sense these disciples let their Jesus at church, just like many people in 21st century American Christianity leave their Jesus at church every week. You see, it's one thing to worship Jesus in a crowd like this when we have the elements before us. It's another thing when we walk out the door and remember that same Jesus and the claims that he makes on our lives. We might say it this way. It is easier to leave Jesus at church and to join with those disciples in leaving him to his death alone. It's easier for us to do that than to take him with us where he continues to make demands of our lives. But such is the nature of what we do here. The Lord's Supper is more than just a reminder of what he did for us. You see, our tendency is to twist this and make it all about what it does for us. So let me, let me just acknowledge what this reminds us of, that Jesus did for us. That entire cross event is significant for us because there, the very Son of God, not a Savior for life, but the Savior for life. He went to the cross. He was arrested, as we read in a little bit in this passage. He was beaten. He was put on trial. He was savagely beaten. And then he was nailed to a cross. That's one of the reasons that we have a cross at the focal point of our entire auditorium here. It is a reminder to us. It's more than a piece of jewelry. It's more than some kind of decoration for a church or for your home. It is a reminder of, for us of the incredible sacrifice that Jesus made. And in that sacrifice, he purchased life for us. It's not just the cross. It's also the resurrection. If it was just the cross and Jesus was still hanging on a cross, he would be a tragic hero of history. He's no tragic hero. He is the living son of God who conquered death. And we benefit from that, right? That's right. But here's the problem. If all we remember when we come to do this in remembrance of him is the benefit we get out of that, we stand in real danger of leaving our Jesus at church. You see, if he really is the son of God, and he is, then the sacrifice that he made that we benefit from also qualifies him to be authoritative in our lives. 
Maybe another way to say that is if all we do is thank him for the benefit of the cross and we go and live our lives as if we left him at church, we make a mockery of the cross. I don't just get that from myself. I think we find that from this grand meddler. The Apostle Paul has a way of getting down into how we apply theology in our daily lives. Now, theology is one of those big church words, and I don't want to scare you off with it. The bottom line is it comes down to how we live our faith out. And Paul has something to say about the Lord's Supper and how we approach it and how we remember it even. And so this is where we're in 1 Corinthians 11. And, and we have a little passage there. I've talked about this one already. I think even in the last Lord's Supper service sermon that I talked from this passage. But today I want us to drop down below where Paul gives his account of the Lord's Supper. And I want to pick up reading chapter 11, verse 27, because this theological meddler named Paul gets down into the way we approach this and the way we remember this. Verse 27, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, that's a significant term, in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Paul says that we must approach this in a worthy manner. In other words, he says, don't come at it in an unworthy manner. Well, what does that look like, really, an unworthy manner? Well, for our purposes today, I'll simplify an answer to say, I think that Paul is saying to us that we cannot dismiss the authority of Jesus Christ even as we celebrate the blessings. The term, the theological term that I would put before you today, argues for a new normal. The normal for us is to come to this service and this particular observation of the Lord's Supper, and we totally look at it at our look at it from our own point of reference, and and we see the blessing for us, and we celebrate the blessing, and and as valuable as that is, it's not the full picture. The theological term is cruciform living. The word cruciform simply means in the shape of a cross. And so when we come to this, Paul would argue for us that we not come and participate in an unworthy manner. Instead, we come with the spirit and with the intent that Jesus had with it. This was a sacrifice. The sacrifice carried with it a blessing for us. But in that blessing, there was a responsibility. I'll take you back to Luke chapter 9 very quickly because it's in Luke chapter 9 that Jesus gives us this picture of cruciform living. And it says in verse 23, And Jesus said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will, uh, will save it. So what we find now is this new normal for Jesus' followers. We acknowledge and we 
embrace and we appreciate the memory that points us to the blessing that we carry as his children. We also must in this new normal embrace the calling that he gives us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross daily. In other words, that means to die to ourselves. He is the risen Lord. He is the Son of God. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And as we remember, it must transform how we live. We cannot leave our Jesus at church. Let me just ask you as we go into this time, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, if you would, please. Close your eyes. We transition into the actual observance of the Lord's Supper. We'll ask our deacons to go ahead and make their way forward as this, uh, at this point, but I want you to keep your eyes closed for just a few moments. What do you remember about Jesus today? As we come and we emphasize the Lord's Supper and we come and we, we celebrate, again, that's an interesting term when we're remembering the horrific death that Jesus suffered Celebration comes when we remember Easter. What do you remember of him? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you experienced that life-changing love that he brings to you? If not, then that's where you need to start today. Who is this Jesus to you? Have you trusted him? Have you experienced the life that he gives We'll have an invitation in a little while. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I would invite you to take that step today, to put your trust in him. And as we remember and as we work through these scriptures again in just a few moments, listen for the personal application of that. Jesus said, I love you. If you don't know him as your Savior, today's a great day for you to experience the life that only he can give with a relationship with him. It may be that you're here and it's a habit for you to leave your Jesus at church. And he says, I'd like to show you another part of life. What's your commitment to him today? So, Father, we ask you to take this time now and be glorified in it, change lives as only you can do is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. ask you to bow your heads again, if you would, please, as best you can, insert yourself into the scene of that upper room. Jesus clearly is troubled by that which lay ahead of him. His disciples pick up on that, still don't fully understand what's at stake. And Jesus says, take, this is my body. And so, Lord, as we remember that, and though none of us were in that room, we still find ourselves in the same place as those disciples. And we remember, we remember the way your flesh was torn, your body was sacrificed, and that troubles us, especially as we recognize that 
All of that occurred because of our sin. We have a place there. And yet you chose to pay the penalty in our stead so that we might have life. We remember. We pray that you would drill that memory deep inside of us so that as we walk out of this place, we walk out with a renewed commitment to honor you in every piece of our lives, in every relationship, in every way. And it's in your name we pray. Our Father God, we come to you this day humbly in your presence to acknowledge, Lord, that you so loved us that you sent your Son so that he could be the ultimate sacrifice, that he would shed his blood so that we might have eternal life. We come thanking you this day. We also come, Lord, telling you that we're going to use this time to cleanse our souls, to ask forgiveness where we have failed, and acknowledge, Lord, that amazing grace that you have given to us. And we do these things and we pray these things in the name and in remembrance of your Son, Jesus Christ, who we pray in his name. Amen. One of the things that we should remember when we come to this is what Jesus gave us a bit of a nudge to remember forward. We've talked all morning about remembering backwards and the, in, uh, the impact that that needs to make, the transformative impact on our lives today. But in that passage in Mark, Jesus gives us something to remember that has not yet occurred. In other words, we remember what's coming. He said this, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. He's pointing us forward. And in that forward look that we have, when we will join with him in an incredible scene in the heavenly places, we will have the opportunity to do this again with some of those who have gone before us, loved ones, friends, great heroes of the faith, as we all gather together because of Jesus and we remember and celebrate. And so, Father, as we remember backwards and we remember forwards, we pray that you would drive deep into our hearts the claims that you make on us because of your blood, because of your sacrifice, because of your victory over death, because of your triumph over sin. Because you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, and we are your children, only because of you. We remember and we say thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask our deacons to have a seat. We're going to go to a time of invitation. It won't be very long, but. We want to give you the opportunity of God's dealing with you about some decision in your life. We can't come to this table 
and remember as we've done today without giving you the opportunity to respond to whatever it is that God is saying, this is something I want you to do. Maybe it's to join the church. Maybe it's to make a decision to follow Jesus. Maybe it's just a point of reference between you and him that you make right there where you're seated and about to be standing. But you do business with Jesus Christ at this point. He is alive. He still makes claims on people's lives. And so in this time of invitation, let's all stand together.